The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the Hello and a very warm welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast, the first podcast for 2014. Uh, this podcast is dedicated to all things Port Adelaide Footy Club. I'm your host, Macca19. And with me, as always, is regular co-host, Fishing Rico 4. How are you, mate? Yeah, very good. Thank you, Macca. And what about yourself? Always good, buddy. Always good. Um, and joining us once again is uh, one of our moderator extraordinaires, uh, Foot Falcon. Uh, I mean, Fort Fairlane. Yeah, something like that. Good to see you again, <laughs> Macca. Good to have you back on. First podcast for 2014. I think this is going to be a very exciting year. It is. Where's the time go? I know. It didn't, didn't seem that long since uh, since we were playing in the finals last year. I still have the Geelong and Collingwood finals on my recorder. I haven't even watched the Geelong one again. I can't quite bring myself to do it. I think I saw uh, Westhoff's goal, and that's about it for that one. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, all right. Well, let's get straight back into it um, and talk about the internal trial that was on the weekend uh, under very, very hot conditions. It was about 42 degrees um, when they were playing. Um your thoughts, Ford, on uh, on how they looked? Um, yeah, very impressive. I mean, we all expected them to be really fit, and clearly they are. Just um, everyone out there in great shape, and even um, on the sidelines, seeing a Bobby Carlisle roaming around among the Renaults before the game, and Hamish Hartlett going up in the stand to do a interview with Seven News with uh, Mark Soderstrom looked in just immaculate condition, and the guys out on the oval uh, looked superb, and, and also. Say thank you to a peaceful warrior for a great set of photos that really highlighted the, the conditioning of them. Yep. Um, they ran really hard in those conditions. I, I was really sort of more looking at the game style than individual players and was just really impressed by the hard running and the slingshot type football again coming out of defence. I think it was a lot of what we saw last year, I'm sure that with, with Walsh and Hart there now, they've probably tweaked some of the strategies a bit, but I think the basics of that that hard-running defence, as soon as they got the ball in defence, were guys running to positions and, and they knew where they were running and Colhoun and um, Logan really stood out for me as well with some, some real gut running into, into space and uh, Broadbent as well was terrific. In a couple of instances, I remember at one stage when uh, Schultze nailed that goal from the scoreboard and Brody had run from the back pocket right into the vacant space on the old what they used to call the fat side of the ground. I'm not sure what they call it now. He's jumping up and down, star jumping. And look at me, I'm Schultze, Schultze, Schultze. Schultze just kicked the goal because it just yeah. felt like it. That's but what really, he does. That's exactly right. But really impressed by the by the running and by the guys knowing where to run and that the, guy, the, the teammates knew where those players would be. And again, pushing the ball forward. I think last year we were the first or second highest uh, forward kicking or disposing team in the competition and looked to be carrying that on as well. Um, in terms of individual players, I guess I sort of watched a bit more of the, the new guys and the unknowns. I was really impressed by Ben Newton. thought he was very good Absolutely. in the white team and then surrounded by the 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 greater talent, I think, in the black team just lifted it another gear in that third and, and even last quarter. And I, I quite liked what I saw of Polek while, while he was on the ground and he was in the white team and some really nice disposal, some really nice movement through the centre square. I think the guy who we've all sort of talked about as an outside 
finisher, um, some of his, his inside work and stoppage work, which Bo could highlighted earlier in the week, was um, really outstanding. Absolutely. I'll, I'll let you guys have a say now. Yeah, I thought they looked really, really fit. And they all looked a, a fantastic size about them too. They've all put on mm-hmm. quite a bit of muscle. You know, they all look very toned. Um, heaps of run. Um, I think something that I want to touch on, which really impressed me, was the skill level. Because normally in these games, I come away thinking, God, have they actually touched a football yet this preseason? <laughs> but they were hitting targets. They were hitting hard targets. You know, they barely missed a beat. You know, they were, they were really nailing the handballs. And I think that's what our game plan is going to be based around this year, is that really quick, as you said, slingshot run, um, almost Sydney-style coming out of defence. Yep, and they're certainly not afraid to bring the ball back into the corridor. That really seemed to be an emphasis of the trial game, was bring the ball into the corridor, and there were guys just getting into space. And often it was Colhoun who just reads the play so well, getting into that space in the middle, and, and players just fearlessly centering the ball back to the guy on his own through the centre corridor. And uh, I think I saw uh, posted on the in, one, in the thread was that the scores were 27-4 to 7-2. And I think the accuracy was, was mainly due to the fact that the ball just kept coming down through the corridor. And okay, a few difficult shots were definitely nailed, but there was a lot of simple set shots for goal. I mean, it's hard. I mean, they talk about it, bruise-free football, and it is an internal trial. So it's it's hard to put too much emphasis on that but as you said at this time of the year to to be hitting targets that well and and kicking for goal that well it's a pretty good sign yeah i think it's probably a little hard to gauge how our forward line went just because they were playing on um a a couple of really sort of undersized players i know they had uh, daniel flynn playing at full back for a lot of the a lot of the day on butcher and schultz um the reiki waza brothers um they're a little bit undersized on those two players as well Um, But I thought our forward line movement and the structure that it based around looked pretty good. Yes, yes, it it was. And and considering they didn't have Monfries there, who's who's just a a menace up in the forward line, getting in behind and and reading the pace of the one, and he's so strong overhead. But going with the tools up there with Butcher and Schultz and and Lobie drifting up there occasionally, and and they really did monster those smaller, sandful-sized defenders. I would have liked in the second half probably to see, say, Homsch and Clurie swap sides and just go back on on Butcher and Schultz and provide a bit more of, of a uh, physical contest. Yep. But, but um, they, well, they, went, they went the way they went and it, it worked really well. Probably I would have liked to have seen a little bit more from smaller forwards like Mead um, and uh, he probably didn't do a real lot, but... And you had Wingard and Gray were doing some terrific stuff at ground level and it was, yep. was just great to watch. I think Gray kicked a goal that was nearly as easy as the one he kicked in the second showdown when we snatched the game away from the Crows. Yeah, there's a couple of things I wanted to ask. Um, you, you just mentioned uh, Butcher to start with. What I wanted to know was um, we were very critical last year where he, his positioning was always behind um, the defender and he wasn't really leading. Did you notice any uh, uh, change in his game style in the in the trial? Was he more a lead up forward? Not a lot of leading. Um, he was sort of leading back towards the goal square a fair bit mm. um, and trying to work his opponent underneath the ball so he could sort of push them out and, and take the grab. 
Um, but look, every every time he touched the ball was pretty much a contested mark um, in a pack situation. His kicking was actually really good. He was nailing a lot of goals, um, especially in the in the practice before before the game started. Um, not to mention, I think he kicked four goals one uh, for the day. So look, he played pretty well. I think he does need to improve his uh, his leading, um, but I guess we'll see how he goes. Uh, I assume he's going to play this week against the Crows, um, so we'll see how he goes then. I guess Ben Newton's the other one that we should really sort of and what about on. Um, yeah that was I was a, I was just about to ask I mean I wanted to get your opinion was he predominantly middle in for both teams and if so who was he going to potentially force out of the side and also wanted to get your opinion on uh, Jasper Jasper playing predominantly on the wing and the other one was um, Brendan Archie's been spoken up in the preseason so I wanted to see if if he actually had any influence if he did actually play this week. I thought Newton played a uh, like a stereotypical Stephen Salapek sort of role in that he was sort of pushing through the midfield but quite a bit sort of uh, pushing across half-back and as that sort of link-up player as well. He moves a lot like Salapek. Um, I loved his skills. He was, he was nailing his kicks. He's a really good size. He's put on a lot of bulk. Um, you know, he's been absolutely flying this preseason, so I think he's, you know, he, he'd be really pushing for a round one spot. And certainly his clearance work in the centre square and in both the white and the black team after halftime was outstanding. He yeah. really understands the centre square setups, and I'm sure Walsh has, has um, introduced quite a bit of variation there. And his ability to get the ball and get it out or get on the end of it from teammates' passes was outstanding in that game. He just really looked at home in the in the centre and, and worked hard up and down the corridor, probably you know, between that half forward, half back arc. Yep. So you reckon you reckon he's a true sentiment, and do you think do you think he's going to have enough speed for AFL? He's not slow. He's certainly not quick, but um, he's kind of a little bit one pace. He's no slower than uh, say Ollie Wines. Yep. He just and he he finds the ball yeah. as to who will push out. I mean that's that's a really tough question because I think you've got you pretty much assume Matt White's going to start, and I still think. You chase, we chase Polek so hard. I mean, I think in the end he'll he'll wind up in the side. Uh, I quite like him as a player. So you've already got two new guys in there, and then you can get a, a third one. There's certainly a bit of juggling to be done there, and you never know what's going to happen between now and round one. So at this stage, I, I wouldn't say I, I couldn't say who who he would push out. I think it's just a matter of if you know. Ken's true to Ken. It'll he'll pick a team on form for round one, and if his form's good enough, he he might surprise and, and push out a player that you just you thought would be playing come round one. But yep. I mean, the, the big guns like Ebert, I thought was just superb. Um, Boke Boke blew it away for about a quarter and a half, and then I think he just put the, the six shooters back in the holster. I think he'd done enough then. Um, Kane Corns just worked really hard up and down the ground as he always does. So the the heavy hitters were doing as much as they needed to, but clearly were a you know, class above. And you've got Hartlett sitting on the sidelines waiting to come in, and Ollie Ollie was solid, and you know he's going to start. And, and suddenly you think, well, it's it's getting a bit difficult. And Monfrey still has to come into that squad. He didn't play either in the trial game. I think to answer your other questions, Rick, I think um, Pittard looked all right. You know, he's a super fit um, specimen. You know, he's. He- he looks Almost sort of really good now. He does. He's sort of slimmed down but bulked up at the same time, which is crazy. But he looks really bloody good. 
Um, well, he, expecting he looked like he started to get a strong core last year at the end of the season. He, his hips started to look really uh, solid and starting to shrug those tackles a little bit more. Yeah, I wouldn't want him to bulk up any more than he is now. I think he's pretty much in prime sort of peak he's condition a, as he is. He's just an ideal size now. He's really really midfield strength and I think you mentioned that earlier Macker and I think with some of those guys that you could just see the physical advantages they had over the sample players that yeah. these guys are six foot one two three playing on a flank I mean Brody just he, he just strode over the top of guys he was just so much bigger and looking at Pittard even up against the young guys and, and I had this discussion on the in the thread about I had a real problem working out who Amon was, and I thought he was 43, but he just looked really short to me. But often he was standing next to Pittard, and Pittard's you know, nearly sort of close enough to six foot two. I think he's he's uh, back in the the 80s. He, even he could have played as a centre half forward. He's he's that sort of, that sort of size. He's surprisingly big guy now. He's reasonably tall and and a good build on him. And look really, I thought he looked really good on the wing. I think he. he Found the ball. He, he works hard back and forward. He's got good pace and um, a penetrating kick, and he loves to run and carry the ball and can be really damaging. You touched on Amon. We might as well talk about the new guys that we haven't really seen much of. I thought Cleary played a really good game. Um, you know, he's again like Pittard. He's in perfect peak condition at the moment. He's really yeah. put on some good bulk in his upper body, and I reckon he's ready to go. Um, Homsch was really, really, really good as well. Yeah. I really like um, Amon. You know, he's, he reminds me a lot of Jared Irons, and I'm not sure if that scares me or not. But he's sort of, you know, he's small, he's really <laughs> quick, he's got good skills, he can find the ball. Um, I was burnt by Jared Irons, but I don't know. I reckon he's. <laughs> a, yeah, I reckon Amon's a, a sneaky chance for getting a game in the first couple of rounds. I really like to watch the replay again because, as I said, I wasn't sure which which player he was. I was at one stage thinking, "Oh, he might be. Is he seven? Is he eight? And then, or is that Boone Jones?" And then I finally went up. Boone Jones was thirty-three, just because he he ran the same in the game as he's as he does in his highlights clips. He he really got a distinctive sort of really head up, last of the straight back kind of running style. And, yeah, and, there was uh, a couple of the uh, of the he, sort of. Um of the Magpies guys in the white Guernseys that did look very, very similar to Amon. Yeah. yeah it was, I, I couldn't recognise if Amon had 78 touches or if it was sort of spread out <laughs> evenly amongst the, the other three guys that looked very similar to him. It, it could well have been. But um, but also, just while we're going through them, I guess MP as well, I actually quite liked the look of him. I was looking out for him in the first half and couldn't see him. And a couple of times I attributed him different players to being him and then finally saw him at half-time warming up with number 24 and that, oh, okay, that's him. He's not actually been on yet. Yep. And uh, I, I quite like the, the way he played. I like the way he, his confidence seemed really high. He went out there and he, he played like he thought he belonged at that level. Yep. And often with those young guys, they go out there and, and they're a bit timid. You know, they're a bit overawed by it all. And I, I know a couple of posters thought he, he might have looked a bit in awe of it, but I actually thought he looked pretty confident. He looked like he was demanding the ball and then distributing it when he got it. And um, if he's got that sort of confidence, I can see why he was why he impressed the recruiters. Because yeah. if he's got that sort of confidence, that's you know seventy five percent of the battle won. Because at that at that level, you know most of these guys can play, and especially if you're taken first round, he's probably you know outside the first round, but was certainly in the mix for a first round selection. And if 
you know, rumours are believed we would have taken him with pick 14 anyway. And he's got that skill set and he's got that self-belief. He's, he looks really fit. He looks physically ready to go. And um, he's, well, I know you've, you've already said Amon could is a sneaky chance. And I think Impey's obviously a big chance to get in and, and maybe get a few games this year as well. I would have liked to have seen more of him. And that's not meant to be a slight on how he played. It was just that where he was playing, the ball just never got to him. <laughs> yeah, he, he was playing across at a half back, and the black team just dominated. Yeah, especially after, after half time. I mean, the just, white team barely got a kick. Yeah, I mean, it was really hard to judge someone like Mason Shaw, who was in the white team, and he kicked a, a goal early on the run, looked really good, and you know, led well and and got picked off with a couple of passes. Probably led more than Butcher did. But the ball just never got up to him. And I think at one stage he marked the ball down in the back pocket. You know, he was just in the end started chasing kicks. Yeah. And looked really mobile and really fit, but he was just in the wrong side. What did we think of uh, Daniel Flynn? It took me a while to even realise he was out there. I was sort of concentrating on, on other players and and then realised it's that really pale guy with the moon tan. <laughs> must be Flynn. So my guy I was with uh, past my primus at the game, and he goes, 45, I reckon that's Flynn. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh yeah, it is. I think you're right. And to be honest, I didn't really notice him, and it's another reason why I want to have a look again at the, the replay when it goes up. I saw the, that highlight of him in the the highlights package where he, he ran down a player, nearly ran down a player, and I just couldn't believe how quickly he moved. I mean, for a guy who's 191 or two centimetres, it must be around 95 kilos, that he hits top speed so fast, he's got a, a tremendous acceleration. I mean, there are guys that are quick, and then there are guys that just really accelerate quickly. It was one of those things that set Craig Bradley apart from other players, was his ability to go hit, you know, 0 to 100 in two steps. Yeah, certainly physically he could play round one. Certainly he looks like an AFL footballer. I think yeah. he's got a, obviously he's got a lot to learn. Um, I don't think playing at full back really suited him at all. No. Um, but that, then again, I mean, the ball was going in there every 10 seconds, so he was under the pump quite a bit. He certainly backs himself, which I, I really like, and he can pull off the kicks. For a guy that doesn't have an AFL background, he was hitting targets like you wouldn't believe. There was one time in the back pocket where he was kicking in from an out on the full. He decided to play on. He took a bounce um, and, and hit a, a target, which I thought, well, God, there, there might be two players in our team that might be able to hit that target, and he actually hit it. But I reckon he's uh, definitely got a future. Yeah, I've, I've certainly heard good things about him. I know Mission Possible um, has, has spoken of him and um, thinks he's he's really got some, some great aptitude for the game. And I think if he if he can translate that into you know, genuine ability on the ground, he, he could really be something because athletically he's got all the tools. I mean, he's a big guy. He's really quick. And as you said, I mean, you obviously watched him much more closely than I did. He's, he's pulled off difficult kicks. I think I mean, someone mentioned the thread how he, he had the, the confidence to have a run and bounce. And you probably see with the um, off-season chit-chat type uh, videos that are done that he seems a really self-confident young man and um, if he's got that sort of self-belief that he can carry into the football field again you know that's a lot of the battle won that if you believe in yourself and and you can you start to pull that stuff off he he could actually turn into quite a handy player i was just going to ask you one last question about 
not individual players, but the overall body shape of the of the players themselves. Have you have you noticed much change um, from last year to this year? Um, you know, have they got even leaner with the when the interchange, interchange rule and the uh, and the fitness regime, or do you think they've bulked up? Has there has there been any change there? They look really strong and they look really you know match hardened already and really hard body players. I mean, I, I noticed with it, with the need that. You know, while he's not, he might have put on a little bit of bulk. He's not massively bigger, but he really looks a, a really match hardened type body, AFL hardened body. And, and you look at guys like Pittard and Broadbent. That they, you know, they look they look really big now. I mean, they're tall guys and look really rangy, and a lot of lean muscle mass on them without being you know overly bulky and really hard running players. Just watching them run. Was just frightening. I think at times, considering it was you know, mid forty degree or whatever, it would have been out in the sun there, and they were just you know flying up and down the ground. Look really, and Brad Ebert's another one, and Bokey, and looking at some of the photos of players like Butcher, look really, really lean, hard muscle, a lot of vascularity about his body, and um, Homsch is another one, looked a really good size, and Loby, I think we probably should have mentioned as well, kicked three goals. Just smashed it in the ruck and yep. and just you know was up and down the ground all day and yeah looked really really fit and strong. Yeah, probably not like a Geelong size type bulk. I was just about it. to mention that. I was mm, going to say they more, look like Geelong. <laughs> more yeah, more I think they look more lean lean muscle mass and a you know bodybuilding type of team. Geelong has always been such a physically really big side over the last few years and maybe not that massive, but. But certainly, you know, they're heading that way. And I think, you know, Burgess is a, obviously a very smart operator and would be would be heading them in that direction while taking into account the trends of the game and and the development needs of, of what's still a fairly young squad out there now. Yeah. All right, moving on. Let's uh, talk about what was one of the most hilarious but also offensive moments in this pre-season. Of course, we're talking about Guernsey Gate. Um, Rick, do you want to lead us off on this one? What were your thoughts on uh, on what the Crows? Yeah, mate, I was. I thought it was very. Um, I thought it was very arrogant the way they handled it. Um, Nigel Smart uh, uh, came out very arrogant as well. Um, you know, and look, I just found it as a South Australian football supporter. I found it very disrespectful, um, taking even out the Port Adelaide bias that I do have. Um, you know, I remember, you know, the 80s were probably my peak football following time. And, uh, you know, it was all about all the clubs. And I just can't see how uh, the Crows can try and take that ownership and then also try and rub it in our face and try and have it in our game um, at the at Adelaide Oval instead of waiting for another one. And if they were really legitimate about wanting to honour the South Australian history or the clubs that they came from, I think they should be honouring the clubs and not the state Guernsey because they're not a state ba- uh, state team. Um, they should have been maybe asking the SANFL clubs for in each round, each year in Heritage Round to wear and promote one of their Guernseys. So wear the Woodville West Torrens Guernsey at AFL level one year and and then cycle through them if uh, you know if that's how they want to honour their history. Uh, and I just think it was appallingly bad, and that was reflected by um, all the. F- football uh, former state players that came out and pretty much bagged it except for the ones that were sycophants for the Crows. 
Well, the only ones that really backed it were actually official ambassadors for the Adelaide Crows. Fancy that. Yes, isn't isn't that amazing? The the usual suspects, of course, you know, Stephen Rowe was shrieking from the hilltops and later topped by, by Graham Corns. Um, and uh, then you had guys like David Pemberthy in the media trying to salvage what was already, when it was already in ruins. I mean, I... I was just appalled by it. I mean, the minute I saw it, I just thought it was was a disgrace. I thought, you know, the, the one thing about a state goons is, right, you want to you want to honour the traditions. That's fine, but the state goons is about unifying football followers in this state. It's not designed for a club to wear for its own purposes to, to try and create something that it's that's it's not to be worn in a, a club based competition. It's the state of Guernsey and, and where, you know, you want to be there and supportive. I mean, how embarrassing would it be they run out there and that showdown, you would think in that game, it's going to be pretty much predominantly Port Adelaide crowd and there are going to be people booing the state Guernsey. I mean, it just, it was just ludicrous. It was a stupid idea from beginning to end, no poorly thought through, ridiculously executed, and that even got as far as producing a one-off Guernsey for the sake of a press conference just amazed me. And that yeah. no, one, no one at some point thought, you know, maybe this isn't a really good idea. It's like it was just a, a group think. They, they got together and a whole bunch of guys thinking the same just fed off of each other's energy and came up with a really bad idea. I guess they probably thought that um, because they were able to wear the 1930s one back in 2005 that this would go through again. But the difference clearly is that the state, this state Guernsey is still being used every yes, single sir. year by the under-18s, by the, the SANFL state team to try and link them in that fashion to the current state Guernsey is just wrong. It's not acceptable. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've already wear the state colours, so you can argue well, you're already honouring the traditions because you've got the colours. And, and there's a there's another argument that you get have as well about whether that should have ever happened. But but then to grab the state Guernsey on top of that, I mean, it was if they wanted to honour legends of the game, it was, it was quite obvious that they could have come to Port Adelaide and said, look, let's do something together, you know, put up footage of Neil Curley and Bill Wedding and Graham Corns and Stephen Kernahan up on the scoreboard... And um, and do a roll you know, a, a roll call on a call of, of some of the great South Australian state players, and instead they just went off and did their own thing, and it was exemplified by Nigel. I don't care smart comments. You know, it's, he's asked, well, you know, did you ask Port Adelaide? What do you think they'll think? And I'm, I don't care. Well, hang on a minute. You know, we are the home team for this game. This is our home game. And if you want to do something to honour South Australian football, well, Port Adelaide have been a bigger part of South Australian football than any other club. And get together with us and we'll have come up with something with you. Not not a cheap point-scoring exercise that this turned into and just blew up in their faces. Exactly. And that's all it really was in reality. It was just designed to piss off Port Adelaide. It was just designed to try and take and some, something away from our home game um, and try and get some talk back into some positive talk back into the crows i think well they just didn't think that anyone else would complain about it that that was the impression i got they thought that this would be a port versus crows argument and they would win this easily because everyone would go oh you know this is the right thing and suddenly you've got gary mcintosh with his famous quote about 
bullshit people in bullshit castles making bullshit decisions. I've probably added one bullshit too many in there. And um, if it's Stephen Kernahan, you're Chris McDermott, just right from the outset, said it was wrong. Naley, Mark Naley, John Platten, Peter Motley, uh, let alone the Port Adelaide legends, your Warren Treadray and Russell Ebert and, and Jeff Motley going, oh, this is wrong, this shouldn't be happening. And I, I think they, well, I don't think they did. They completely underestimated the, the amount of opposition to it. And then on top of that, they turned it into a money-spinning operation exactly just buy buy your space on the guernsey and it's, it's just a, this an extraordinary decision to make to, <laughs> try and, to try and do that when the sanfl themselves had banned the sale of the guernsey in shops for about 10 years and now oh yeah that's okay let's just bloody sell them to members for 350 bucks that's great yeah it was a black forest cake of absurdity just layer upon layer of bad decisions, and they just collapsed under the weight of it. And he's a club that's desperately trying to re regain some ground, and certainly even in the eyes of the AFL, and, and they just keep making horrible mistakes. I mean, uh, Andrew Dimitri must just be looking at him wondering, what are these guys doing over there? <laughs> Did they ever actually ever learn? Mm. Well, enough about the Crows. Um, let's talk about some good... Port news, um, and we'll talk about our new co-major sponsor, obviously Energy Australia. They're coming on for a minimum of two years, possibly three, um, with a major sponsorship heading towards uh, the eight hundred thousand to a million dollar mark. Um, Rick, what are your thoughts on that one? Pause for lag. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's exciting, isn't it? It's uh, it's um, you know the club's going in a forward direction and. Uh, yeah, we're picking up another sponsor and then a few more lower ones in between. Uh, it's only showing good things uh, for where we're going. And, uh, you know, you, we've got to give some credit to David Koch and uh, and uh, old KT. They've done a great job in, in re-raising our profile again and, and getting confidence back off the field. And, you know, well done to Energy Australia for winning, uh, wanting to uh, put up and try and grow with us. And look, a lot of us have been saying for the last um, uh, 10 years that, you know, some sort of power energy company would be a great fit for the club. So it's great to see that one of them's got on board and is doing the logical. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's much more to add to that. I think um, it, it's just a great boost for the club and, and a real vote of confidence that you know, a multinational um, energy provider has come on board. Has probably initially had reservations about getting involved in in aligning itself with you know one particular club um, at, at the risk of disenfranchising other other people, but they've decided, no, we, we want the exposure and, and we want Port Adelaide to, to sell that message, especially in the South Australian marketplace. And I think it's, it's been terrific. I mean, it, it's, and it's been the culmination of an enormous amount of effort. And I think um, just a, uh, we probably should give a bit of credit here to Lockhart Road as well, who, who played his role in, yep. in getting getting things underway and, and over the line. He's, he's been terrific, a terrific asset to our our board since he's since he's come on board, and the the work of of uh, Koshi and and KT and and the guys, you know, Matty Richardson and in the background and, and the guys in the the sponsorship and marketing departments, um, it's just been phenomenal. And I think to get 
get that sponsor on board and there, there seems to be new sponsors being announced every week at various levels at the club and it's shown a real show of faith in, in where Port Adelaide is heading and and the image we're portraying and the fact that I think those we basically kicked the lid off the coffin almost from two or three years ago where things were just going so badly. You know, the, yep. the old um, soaring securities in my ATM days and Aussie ATM days, I was at the, at the trial game on Saturday. I saw one of the old uh, my ATM Guernseys, one of the supporters was wearing. He was wearing one, actually. <laughs> yeah, just had a little shudder and <laughs> I'll, I'll just watch the game now and think of uh, Energy Australia. So it's, it's just been fantastic. It's been fantastic recovery by the club under some really astute leadership, some strong business acumen and people making, as opposed to Guernsey Gate, people making good decisions at the right time in the right place and really starting to build a foundation for the future now and, and become a really strong, financially viable and successful on-field club. It's just brilliant to have uh, two instantly recognisable national brands as our major sponsors, you can't beat it. It's, it's just a great time to be part of the Port Adelaide Footy Club as a supporter, as a member. Um, and as you said, I mean, going back, you know, three or four years ago, we were picking up sponsors of brands that no one had actually ever heard of before. Um, and look, I think a lot of credit has to go to uh, to VIP and Bill Viz as well uh, for, for getting on board, for getting on board yep. when no one else really wanted to. Um, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for helping to, to push Port Adelaide back up uh, to where it should be. And I think, you know, the, the role of Koshi as well in his uh, development as a as a president of the club over the period he's he's been there has just been tremendous. I think um, a lot of people thought it was a bit of a, a novelty appointment, I guess, when he first came on board. And I think they, they didn't appreciate the actual business acumen of him and how when he takes something on, he, he takes it on full bore and seriously. And I think he's really grown into the role of being quite a respected president and a strong voice of football. Uh, moving on to another appointment, which came out of the blue. Um, it was quite unexpected. I'm talking about Sean Hart as the new director of coaching. Um, yep. How did we see that one? I think it's a good move. He's, he certainly has a real passion for the game. He understands it. He's... Um, his ability to to convey that his enthusiasm is already quite obvious. I mean, I spoke to um, one of the guys in uh, communications who was at the, the his first press conference, and he said he, you know, he, he came away from it and I think oh, he wanted to run through brick walls for him. He's just such a passionate, enthusiastic, positive guy, and I think he's he's obviously going to have a different role to Richo, but he's. Um, his ability to work with people is clearly what one of the, the real prime assets that they are after. And I think the development of players, the character of players and the confidence of players, he's just going to be tremendous in that role. And I think that's Kenny knew that about him. He obviously knew him well from Gold Coast days. And he's a guy of great character and, and very strong personality. I mean, I think we've sort of talked about his religious beliefs. And I, my view is... Uh, that just shows that if he's willing to hold that sort of strong belief in in a football environment, shows the, the strength of his character and the positive nature of the guy is, is just infectious. And I think it's going to be a, a real bonus around the club. And I think Ken certainly thinks that way about him as well. Well, there must have been a, uh, a bit of a history with uh, 
Ken and Sean with the the Gold Coast connection there too, I'd imagine. So I was also, I was wait, been waiting for Kenny to bring his own uh, little stamp to the club. So maybe that's part of it. And I agree with uh, Ford. You know, you you know, people might want to be a bit dubious about his uh, religious beliefs, but whatever. You know, if uh, if he's strong, <laughs> yeah, that's right. If he's strong to his convictions, and you know, and he's a strong character, and the and he can be fill that role that we need, well. Good luck to him, you know, and um, yeah, I mean, he was a fantastic, courageous player, and if he can instill that to our our players to play with the same courage that he did, I, I can't see how we can uh, uh, fail. Some more appointments. Obviously, we had uh, the five re-signings at Christmas, which was a fantastic idea by the club. They got involved with Big Footy as well and gave us some special clues. Um, yes. So good on yes. the club for doing that. That was uh, that was brilliant. Um, of course, we're talking about uh, Jay Schultz uh, signed to the end of 2015. We've got Needham Hartlett signed to the end of 2016. Um, Braddy Ebert to the end of 2017. And uh, and the key signing here, Travis Boat to the end of 2018. What a massive signing that is. It was a, just a tremendous a tremendous week of, of uh, good news, that one. I guess we were all hanging out a bit, hoping Ollie Wines would be one of the five. But I think that's that's on its way. I think that will happen. But the, to get those five and are really high-profile players and, and for quite long lengths of time, just again another real vote of confidence in the club by by the players this time. And um, it was great fun. It was a great fun initiative by the club to to be posting those clues. And I was speaking to Andrew Force about it a, a few weeks back, and he said that they were getting more traffic for. The for people looking at the for the clues and they were getting on the announcements, which was just amazing. You know, people were just having, everyone was just joining and having such a great time with it that uh, it was a real feel good story for the club that they were getting the signings done and they were doing it in a way that engaged the whole supporter base and really got people interested in in what was happening. And I think I think we probably all were checking the the website at midday the next day to see who the next signing was and then and then hanging out for the next clue. And I think everyone got into it and and again a really infectious fun thing and and everybody was enjoying themselves. Especially with Boki, I think um, given the circus and it was a circus. Um, mm. with his last re-signing, uh, for him to come out when he really didn't need to sign at that moment and do right. such a long-term contract, five years, five more seasons we're going to have him, um, he, I think that speaks a lot about where he believes this club is heading. I think he, he certainly ruined the fun for a lot of people who, who would want to start talking about free agency and, and worrying themselves senseless for, for six months. In, a, in another year, and, and uh, it's it's just totally ended, you know, any speculation on, in that regard, and really just shown his his level of commitment to this club. And I think um, he's he's just been fantastic. I think he's, I guess, he was a bit of a surprise um, drafting back at the time. He was one of those guys who just sort of climbed up the ladder of the draft ladder right up into the day. And um, I remember at the time when he was drafted, I was I was listening to, I think it was seen, and they go, oh, big room in Port Adelaide, they're going to draft Travis Spoke, and I go, who? Mm. You're diving through that and trying to find something out, some more out about him, because he missed some footy with, I think, stress fractures in his back from playing cricket, and and so he'd sort of been off the radar a bit, of a, kind of a familiar refrain of Port Adelaide draftees over the years, but he's just 
grown to such a great leader at this club and and such a good player. I mean, he's he's probably suffered a bit from the Selwood comparisons over the years, which has been unfortunate and unfair on him because Selwood's just been in a super team and and Bokey's been in a team that's really limped along for a while there, but. I think as Port Adelaide stocks have risen, I think Bokey certainly led the way and has become you know, a real quality player, and it's just it was a great signing. That's it. Now we've got the uh, we've got our first NAB Cup game. Well, it's not really the NAB Cup anymore, is it? The first NAB Challenge game uh, this week on Sunday at Richmond Oval. We're playing the Adelaide Crows. Uh, just quickly, Rick, what do you expect or what do you hope to see um, out of this game from Port Adelaide? Well, like you guys highlighted from the trial, we're going to be coming up against stronger opposition compared to the weaker opposition. So I'd be really looking forward to making sure we're getting that run and a dare and that slingshot that you were talking about. I want to I want to keep that enthusiasm going for that attacking play. And uh, I'm really excited to uh, see how we're going to structure up defensively as well. Are we going to are we going to play with those the this the eight defenders with the with the two pushing back and uh, and have we got a bit more variety this year? Uh, at times we maybe became a little bit predictable last year uh, with our style of play. Um, so let's hope to see uh, more run, more dash bit of excitement and uh, a bit of variety in our gameplay. Yeah, pretty much the same. It, it's really difficult to say. I'm, I'm a bit, I'm sort of Kenny Hinkley on this. So I think the, the Port Crows game is just getting overdone by the AFL. I'd really rather we didn't play them in pre-season. I think it, it detracts from the, the big the big games during the year, especially the one we're going to have the showdown this year at Adelaide Oval to, to kick it off. I think um, it, it would have been better had we not played them at all. Uh, in the pre-season, I think, it, and it's it's not that hard to organise, you know, to get a Melbourne team over here instead. It's only a, an hour flight. But anyway, having said that, um, yeah, again, it's it's really just seeing, I guess, an advancement on what we did last year. I think as the season wore on in 2013, you really saw the players become more and more comfortable with what Ken wanted. They understood the game plan, what what he wanted done, and and they executed it better and better and. Probably their only, the only criticism would be that they just never quite managed to do it for four quarters. There was always those lapses. I think obviously in the Geelong game there was a lapse in that third quarter where the game just got away from us. And even in that Carlton game in round 22 where uh, Broadie deliberately hit the post to deny the Crows a chance of playing in finals. He probably designed the Guernsey for them as well, come to think of it. <laughs> so, so I think it's, it's just seeing now an extension of, of what they were doing last year, that they executed well for four quarters, and be interesting to see the sort of tweaks that Phil Walsh has brought. As I recall, I don't think we were a really, really good different side from Centre Sweets, especially during the year, probably mid. You're breaking up. Right right oh, okay. Um, we were probably a, a not a great clearance side, probably around mid table, and. I think we really would. I'd really like to see an improvement on that, on getting the ball away from from stoppages and from the centre bounces, and that Phil Walsh, see Phil Walsh's influence there, and love to see Butcher really fire up and have a really strong two pronged attack with him and Schultz providing that that tall marking power. Westhoff working up and down the ground, and then guys like Need and um, Monfrey's really giving us some ground-level firepower as well, as well as Robbie Gray. 
Yeah, for me, it's all about the uh, the youngsters uh, for Sunday. I'm, I'm really looking forward to see how Ben Newton goes. Um, I'd love to see guys like Mason Shaw and Jarman Impey get games. Um, Carl Amon as well, maybe Burton Jones if he's uh, if he's able to do that. Um, and of course, I want to see how our forward structure looks. So I think Westhoff's not going to play. I think Hinkley said on the weekend. Um, no. So it'll be pretty much Schultz and Butcher, um, and hopefully Shaw in there as well. Um, yeah, it'll be a chance. Yeah, and I'm really hoping to see us, uh, you know, use a lot of dash and a lot of uh, creativity and confidence. Um, I think that's where we're going to to do some really good things this year. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, I think absolutely. That, well, I think that's it for today. Um, first podcast for 2014 out the way. Um, yep. Of course, if uh, if anyone out there that's listening um, has a suggestion for a topic that you want us to talk about. Um, feel free to let us know on the Big Footy forums. Um, otherwise, thanks for coming on, guys. Great. Thank you for the invitation. Go the power. Yeah, no dramas. Absolutely.